Hey y'all, this is Jermaine. And it's Michael and this is the Blackboard <laughs> Podcast. I'm doing it this time, nigga. Shut up. All right, cool. Um, yeah, so today we have a very special guest with us to discuss. Well, it's a special episode for for one, for multiple reasons. Uh, tell us why, Mike. Well, yes. Yeah, so this past weekend, Luke Cage came out. And early on, one of our favorite podcasters uh, is Steph I Will on Twitter, Steph underscore I underscore Will of the Lemonade podcast. Uh, we talked about getting together and doing a, a two-part crossover. And that's what this is. It's happening because the show finally came out and it's lit. Mm-hmm. So, hey, Steph. Hey, how you guys doing? I'm hungry. I'm good. You say you're hungry? I was gonna say the same thing. Look at that. Look at look at guy. We both struggling. Uh, okay. All right. I am full. I had dinner. What'd you have? What'd you have? I made some uh, salmon mm. and Damn. what else? Broccoli mm. and salmon. How'd you have make you your ever salmon? Had mahi, mahi. No, shut up. <laughs> no, it's all gone now. Sorry. How'd you make your uh, salmon? You baked it just, or just baked it? Okay, cool. You put like l- lemon slices in your uh, in the oven too with it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So you know what's up. Okay, cool. That's yes. What did you say, Mike? Uh, I said that's lit. But I was going to say, I asked Steph, have you ever had mahi-mahi? Uh, yes, I have. And it is delicious. What is that? Yeah. So, Jermaine, I was telling you about it. But, yeah, it's a fish. It, it's like, it tastes really good. It has, like, the confidence of sal- salmon in a sense that it's not, like, brittle like uh, cod is. Um it's hard to explain. It has like almost like a chickeny type of thing. I don't know, uh, but check it out. It's at Meyer. You can get like some wild card packs for like three dollars. But yeah, all right. Let's get to Luke Cage. Interesting. Um, yeah. So we'll be talking about episodes um, for this first part or uh, one through seven. So those of you who have not seen those episodes, uh, we'll be getting into spoiler territory. So uh, steer clear of this episode and come back after you watch those episodes. And then the next time around, we'll be covering the rest. Covering the rest the rest anyways yes <laughs> all right so general thoughts um first i'm gonna ask you steph and then jermaine like how do you feel just how do you feel about the the show period so the show period um and it's been maybe what almost 24 hours now since i've finished and kind of let it sink in and just no hype no just doing too much but i really honestly thought that it was well done and probably no not probably it's the best thing i've enjoyed from marvel and that's been because i actually felt included while i was watching like i actually look at the screen and say oh hey relatable characters (laughs) and because um you know this is the first time for me as far as watching marvel where you know they've actually done women of color period but just women of color justice like all of the characters were fully fleshed out and it was just good oh misty knight i mean (laughs) everybody else could have just not been there and she could have been there and i probably would be saying the same thing but i mean that was the best version in my opinion that i've seen of her and i'm like that's compared to the comics as well like daughters of the dragon is up there for me but um after seeing this iteration of misty knight i I don't know how I'm going to go back and read the older comics that I used to enjoy now without constantly thinking of Simone Missick. True, true. Jermaine, how you feel? Um, I have to mirror uh, Steph's thoughts because I thought that, like I was telling you before, it just felt black. You know, I there were moments while watching it where I just couldn't believe that it just didn't feel like a superhero show for one. 
And two, it was really authentic. And you even said this too, it felt genuine. Like it had a heart, uh, mm-hmm. something, and it wasn't as dark as Daredevil or um, Jessica Jones, but, but it had dark elements. But because of uh, just the the center of the, it had so much heart, you, you didn't feel weighed down by all of that. And um, like every character carry, carries the um, their arc really well. Um, I'm just blown away by the performances from everyone, especially the woman of color. It just it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like Marvel is trying to um, push an agenda. It just feels, everything feels authentic. And I think that's why it's resonating so well. That's why it crashed Netflix yesterday. That's why it um, everyone is rejoicing at how great it is and how this is a, another great addition to the great amount of other black centered stuff we have going on today from queen sugar to um whatever all the other shows out there so i'm it's a really great show and i can't wait to finish the rest so i yeah i'm ready yeah man i uh yeah i I agree with the both of you i think this is probably like out of all the the superhero media i've consumed and like out of all the superhero shows i think this is the best i've ever seen like on television um just like us as a series it's one of the strongest i've ever seen it's something that i think speaks directly to all of us and does such a genuine job you know it's it doesn't go without its problems but i think it's just so genuine and it's so it has so much heart that it just it it just elevates it elevates above the rest like you know i like daredevil but then i like jessica jones more but i like this more than either of those um and yeah man like like you were saying like it's just a lot of heart quite a bit of levity um the characters man this is one of the very few shows in which every character is really fleshed out and like just multi-dimensional i gotta say you know misty knight was just really impressive um simone missick and i'm you know, I'm just I love Simone Missick. You know, this is like a really breakout role from for Detroit. her. From Detroit, they swap representing. Yeah. Right? No, that like that's a that's oh, a real, real thing though. It's like yes, yeah. as Detroiters, like it's a really it's really dope to just sort of see like us being put on and seeing some one of us like sort of make it and become one of like like a Marvel superhero. Like that is really dope. And she was really she killed it. You know what I'm saying? She killed it the whole thing. But all the other characters too, like. Pop, um, I forgot the actor's name who played Pop, but he, as the old black man, um, spoiler, who dies, like, he had more to to him than the old black man from Jessica Jones who died or the old black man from season one of Daredevil who died. Like, it's just so <laughs> deep and, like, it's just it's just full of so much life. And, you know, I gotta, you got to love Mike Coulter's take on Luke Cage, man. Like, that's a hero that I just that you just can't help but like trust so yeah man it was it was a great show it's a great show mm-hmm. ah. yeah I, I was yeah it's also um misty because i mean i know i mentioned the woman of color but misty uh, especially because she she has so much agency and she uh carries herself so well and she has this really powerful sense of authority and um it's really it she resonates so well with the viewer um and in the way that she's presented and it you can tell that there was a lot of care put into these characters because um, nothing, as I said before, feels forced. And two, it doesn't feel like there is any unneeded sexuality put in, in the characters that, in a way that is objectifying. And I heard, I've seen this mentioned on Twitter too, um, where some people are saying that you know this is how you write uh, 
female characters or women of color, uh, where normally, especially with black women, be written um, really ex explicitly to the point where it's just it's objectifying and not to it's not for the character at all. But um, I mean, what do you think about that stuff as a woman of color yourself? Um, I thought they did a fantastic job. You know, my fear at first, um, you know, when I heard Misty Knight was going to be a part of this, um, was just because I was thinking of the comics and I'm so happy that Simone Mystic didn't read anything before she went into this oh, because no, she didn't. Oh, cool. Okay. So, um, so that in itself was like, okay, yeah, whoever wrote this, you did a fantastic job because these women, all of them, um, Rosario Dawson, even Alfie Witter, um, like their sexuality was there. Like, you know, you were, you gravitated towards them in that respect, but it was because they exuded it. It wasn't because it was written into their characters. They just brought that out themselves. Um, and it just, I would, um, oh, I guess I'm probably going to get into spoilers. I'm trying not to, but, um, there was a point with Missy where, you know, it wasn't like this strong black woman, but you could tell that she had strength, but it wasn't, um, Tyler Perry-ish. <laughs> you know I mean? so, <laughs> like two on the nose yeah it wasn't on the nose yeah. it's just, it just a regular everyday um, black woman yeah. just trying to make it in you know the workforce and she's a cop so you could tell that you know while she had this tough exterior she still had a soft side and it showed mm -hmm. at various points in the show so um I mean, just wow. And the way that Claire was, I thought that's the best that I've seen of her between Jessica Jones and also Daredevil. Mm -hmm. um, just just wow. I'm still, I guess, no, maybe it hasn't all settled yet because I'm just still in awe because this, like I said, is the first time in any superhero medium where I've just been blown away by the big two, I should say, mm -hmm. by the way the women are presented. Doesn't it feel good, like to have that representation? It feels good, it doesn't felt it? So fucking good, and mm -hmm. I just sorry, I dropped the f bomb. I don't know. If you... No, you, you oh, no, man, you good. Talking about you. You talk, okay. Mike is on the show. I mean, hello. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, man. But no, it, it felt so good. Like, um, I don't even know how to explain. Like, I feel like I'm being a little corny, but. I felt really good watching it after it's over. You know, I feel recharged and ready to go for, um, for, for Monday. Okay. Like I feel good after I feel empowered, I should say. So someone said that this was the best, I mean, or yeah, the best feminist piece of, um, I guess TV medium. And I have to wholly agree with them, which is just crazy because, you know, it's about Luke Cage, right? But this has been, uh, feminist to a T. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, man. I, uh, I mean, that's 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 actually like really dope that uh, somebody like acknowledged that the feminism within the show. Um, it's and that's really dope co coming from like a black male showrunner to like provide such positive representation for, uh, for you know women of color in general. Like you know, there's a lot of writers and there's a lot of people who had their hand in it, but overall, for uh, uh, just for the showrunner to be able to bring like that together and bring that positive representation for everybody and not just make a because it's really easy you know what i'm saying to to fall into a trap of having only the black men or the the men on the show like really be fully fleshed out developed characters and like the women are just kind of sort of there like they have personality traits and you know they they have like certain relationships with each other but it's it doesn't feel as 
thorough. Um, it does. It does. It wouldn't feel as thorough, but no, they did a good job, man. I think everybody was just everybody put their heart into it, and it's it's lovely. What you were saying about um about Misty Knight exuding this uh this Arab strength, I actually because I started rewatching it. Um, I watched the whole thing, and then I actually started rewatching it these past couple of days. Um, taking extensive notes. And in episode two, after the uh, after the barbershop shot up, and you know, Pop inevitably dies, and um, Luke is just like, he's you know he's angry, he already cried. But, you know, the police are there, they're investigating. He's just like there, bullet holes in his shirt. Misty was close to Pop. She like like she loved him. Everybody loved him. But I noticed, and it was in the acting too, but in her face, she didn't allow herself to be to at least show her being broken down by it. like mm-hmm. this because she has a job she has to you know find out what happened like you can see the sad you can see the like the urge to like sort of express a little bit more in her face but she holds it back and i think that actually comes back into play later um because i think she is someone who feels like she has to sort of hide how she feels a lot and i think over time and when it gets to the later part we'll talk about this more next uh as parts of a crossover uh, her holding in those emotions like start to weigh down her, and that and that's that's good writing. That's like good realistic uh, writing of a of a complicated uh, and believable character. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, that's you brought up a really good point. Just her facial expressions like it didn't it wasn't so much everything she said or like the, the big motions in her performance Simone's performance but the the really small expressions the really it just it's just non-verbal uh acting that really also carried the character uh, that I was really attracted to I mean, like in, in different levels because it's just she was just so captivating like when she was on the screen like she commanded your attention um and she just it just worked really really well, and then um, I cannot how you pronounce her last name Alf uh, Alfred Woodard yeah Woodard yeah um, so Mariah uh, <laughs> she's an, another amazing character a matriarch and I, I was when when I was watching it I was thinking about the matriarch in the Get Down and I was thinking it's really nice to see these black women play these really flexible roles um, that they can be the villain in in, in addition to being the hero so. Uh, I love seeing her in that position, and she's, you know, like a lot of the other of the other women on the show, women, women of color. She was in a position of power, and then I was not expecting that thing to happen towards the uh, like the mid mid uh, series. Uh, I forgot what episode it was. The end of episode seven, when the thing that happens, aka she kills Cottonmouth. Oh, yeah. it's spoiler territory. Right. We told him that. I, they I not mentioned listening. that too, but yeah, spoiler territory. Yeah, when she killed yes. Cottonmouth, I was not expecting that, and I honestly yes. thought he was gonna he was gonna live or he was gonna survive that. But she went all the way in, and um, and then how they because uh, normally when the people talk about um, you know female characters and when um, when there is for. Like sexual abuse that comes up in the story. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, and stuff. Um, you can comment on this too. Uh, it's always people always feel that the the sexual abuse is what gives the character agency, and some people feel like that's not the way to approach it. Uh, in this situation, she was obviously triggered in a way that where it felt this, her the sexual abuse wasn't the, wasn't the center of her story. Uh, it wasn't what what pushed her for, uh, like 
throughout the entire arc, but it was something that was obviously triggering for her. Um, but I thought it was handled really well, like everything else. I mean, Steph, what do you think about that? No, um, I thought it was too. And I like the fact, or I love the fact that it wasn't, um, you know, what gave her her agency why she turned the way that she did as far as um, just as evil as Cottonmouth. Mm-hmm. But for that part, um, not only was it like triggering, but Alfie Ritter is a national treasure because um, just the rage that she had in that moment really captivated the fact that, no, this isn't her story, but it was triggering enough that it caused her to kill her own cousin. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that just spoke really loudly to, you know, what we have going on as far as rape culture goes and, you know, um, I, you know, just people saying that, you know, you deserve this or whatever the case is mm-hmm. and she snapped. And, you know, a lot of times I'm and I guess the thing that kind of made me say, well, damn, is, you know, how many uh, Mariahs are there <laughs> where, you know, uh, someone would bring that up and they would snap like that because it's something that they've been holding in. Mm-hmm. And obviously it was something that she had been holding in because she wouldn't have, you know, if she had dealt with it, then she wouldn't have snapped like that and right. probably still be alive. Um, and just talking about Cornell and Mariah, Black Mariah, period, um, their backstory was heartbreaking. Mm, as- very. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah, I was... Um, oh, go ahead, man. Uh, well, I noticed... Um, like when you look at um Cottonmouth's or uh, Cornell's backstory, it's kind of like I, I was reminded of Shaolin Fantastic from the get down. Um, kind of, yeah. Like when you think kinda. about, like, I mean, that's like kind of an end result, but it, it was really similar because when you think, oh, was it Mama Mabel? That's the, um, mm-hmm. that was the their matriarch. grandmother's name. Yeah, yeah, that was the grandmother's name. Um, the matriarch, similar to the matriarch on uh, the get down, sort of forcing. Uh, you know, young black boy to like manhood in a sense with acts of violence and really, really fucked up things. And that's essentially what happened to Cottonmouth. Cottonmouth was a relatively good kid with a musical gift and he has grown into this this evil... He's complicated. He's not, like, he's evil, but... And this this is the thing, too, and this is something else I know. I I know, like, both Cottonmouth and uh, Mariah, they are extremely layered characters. Mm-hmm. And Alfie Woodward, the, Woodward uh, does such um, powerful emoting just through her eyes early on. Like, I noticed, because she doesn't want to be bad. Like, that's the thing. She does not want to be evil. That's, she doesn't, like, she wants to get power in politics, but she doesn't, like, she doesn't like the concept or the idea of killing people. Stokes, he, you know, is just a regular kid who just wants to play music and just wants to play music and he doesn't really seem interested in it but of course uh, Mama Mabel forces him into this uh, position where he like murder and crime is like a second nature to him he doesn't he doesn't have as much like sympathy about about it, so yeah okay but I mean, you were also talking about like um like Black Mariah and like comparing the two matriarchs, like would you can you expand on that a little bit? Um, just it. okay, so <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, so I mean, 
Black Mariah isn't like that matriarch yet. You know what I'm saying? We have to see. If we get a season two, we'll get there. But Mama Mabel is more comp- uh, comparable to the matriarch of uh, The Get Down. A um, little bit less exaggerated, a little bit more realistic in terms of um, like matriarchs in those types of environments based on what I've seen in my experience with just a little bit of power. But, you know, it's it's that whole hardened, it's, it's the hardened element and just that sort of, like they're evil they're they're evil they don't seem like it at first and they you know because they do favors for the community and stuff like that but they're evil enough to take someone take someone's innocence away you know what i'm saying like oh you know i'll put a gun in a child's hand and make you shoot your own uncle like that's that's some next level like evil shit now we don't we'll see how mariah we'll see where mariah goes but i feel like she'll be a little bit more tactical because right now she's just in a downward spiral uh, as the series goes on she just further spirals downward towards um, a level of evil. And she eventually may come to reflect her grandmother, but, you know, we'll we'll have to see how that goes. Jermaine, you talk about something now. Jesus Christ. Yes, I agree. I agree, uh, Michael. Um, I think that uh, what I said before, I thought she was a um, Black Mariah was a matriarch. I think what you said makes perfect sense. Like, she's developing into that more. Um... But I think she, I, I see the potential there. Like she has what what it takes to be exactly that. And then I was yeah, I probably shouldn't have been surprised at all. But when um, her grandmother, when they did the flashback, she <laughs> when they talked about had the scene where the the, uh, the young black boy or, or man or whatever uh, came in and talked to her her grandmother, talk, talking about uh, we found this new drug, cocaine, and selling good money. You should be investing crack. in this, or yeah, or crack. Um, and um, uh, she was like, "Who are you, basically, to challenge me?" And then he was like, "Well, you obviously you're out of date. You're, you're not in tune. This is something new. You should be getting in on this." And she grabbed his hand and cut his finger off. Right. I was like, "Where the fuck she get them pliers?" Over right. Here, I was I'm like, like, "What is happening?" <laughs> I grabbed his hand. I screamed. Oh. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> what? Yeah, oh, I was like, man, I had I reminded it a few times too. And then some other rewind worthy moments were uh, the, the moments between <laughs> Misty and Claire. Like when she was interrogating Claire, I was like, oh boy, was that? Oh boy, <laughs> was that a? Was that what episode was that? Is that six? Uh, I think it's six or six or seven. One of those. Okay, yeah, that'd remember. be one of them because I'm like, nigga, we, we no, it's joking. <laughs> yeah, is that we jumping a little? Far. Um, yeah, no, that that whole interaction was really interesting. Like, just to see like sort of two uh strong, like two strong women of color, just kind of so sort of go back and forth and play off of each other. Because Rosario Dawson is was like more or less a veteran. Like she's been in this shit for a minute. Like the acting game period and it was really dope to see Simone Missing be able to like like go toe to toe with to her go toe to toe with her and then choke her ass out like like it's nothing I'm like well shit man <laughs> shit like, mm-hmm. I stood up when it happened because I was like well oh, shit is it about to go down you stood up but yeah no that's what I was talking about in a sense like that like her her emotional baggage starting to like mm-hmm. affect her and weigh her down you know it's that's what happens you know you start to do fucked up things and you you, you make irrational decisions you got to take it you got to take a chill pill but let's rewind all the way back to episode um and 
because we're on the subject of this tonight, but I, I want to talk about, and not for the reasons you may think, Jermaine, but I do want to talk about uh, this, the sex scene and chemistry between Luke Cage and Misty Knight. Let um, us. <laughs> <laughs> she was ready. She said, let us. I'm ready. Well, I'll let you read the uh, discussion. Let me sip my, my water right quick. I'm getting a little wow. thirsty again. <laughs> wow. So, um... So, wow. I mean, <laughs> the chemistry between the both of them was just off mm. the charts. And I just thought that the banter between the both of them when they were in the at the club when he was behind the bar was just... Um, I wonder if they kind of um, freestyled that mm. to a point. So I was like, I don't know if this can come off the way. Either they're extremely good actors or somebody knew what they were doing when they were writing because just the, the snarkiness back and forth was just... On point. I was here for all of it. Yeah, it was uh, on yeah. point. I mean, he called her old school and nothing yeah, no <laughs> Like, yeah. great. She didn't walk off or anything like that. Yo, and I, just I, gotta, I gotta mention, <laughs> because of that part, that line right there. Yeah, there were some white people who were talking about it, and they didn't get it. They were like, they were calling each other old. They were like, "Wow, this is sexy." They're calling each other old. I'm like, y'all, like this what? obviously isn't written for y'all. Wait, what you no. mean? What? No, there was like, so many black Easter eggs in this show was more than Marvel Easter eggs. I yeah. believe somebody I saw that on, somebody tweeted that, and yeah, I was I saw like, that yeah. too. Mm-hmm. yeah, like it's a lot of inside jokes that really only like only black people would get. You don't like, know what old whole, school is. You don't know what else school is? What? They don't know? I don't okay. No, yeah. like like I was watching um like a video they were talking about the first episode and how they how they felt about it. They were like, you know, they they liked it generally, but they were like, you know, they didn't quite understand the banter because they were like they were they thought they were just insulting each other back and forth, like he called her old and, and shit like that. It's like he said, No, like cause the whole the meaning of an old <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like different than like, nigga, you old. Like, it, it's different. It's a different connotation. Yeah, um, okay. It has more to do with sensibilities and, uh, and taste than anything. This is a random question, uh, but what does I brag different mean? I'm sorry. Nigga. What does that mean? That's a, that, that wasn't a song one of these kids made recently, I think, right? Uh, no, I feel like Jay-Z said that actually um, whom is an old head. I, I don't know. I I have no idea. I'm I guess I got money or something like that or I got well, something you don't have or what? This nigga shit, I guess. Yeah, oh. it, it's like I have something that you don't have. Okay. Um yeah, Jay-Z said it on I got the keys from, from DJ Callison. I bra- he's like my wife Beyoncé, I bragged it. Like I don't got I don't got just a fine wife, nigga. My wife is Beyoncé. You can't brag the same way I can brag. I, I guess what I that's my interpretation. So, okay. but yes. Cool. Back to uh, Luke and um, Misty. So, yes, yeah, Stephanie, continue. So, yeah, so the scene back and forth at um, at the club was just like, okay, I wonder where this is going. And then when she brought out coffee, I was like, oh, shit, they really about to do this. <laughs> so um, I just thought it was really dope that, um, one, they didn't feel any, didn't like, people kept bringing up respectability politics. And I'm just like, where? Because if this show was really trying to be in line with that, then Misty would have never slept with Luke Cage upon first meeting him. Right? Right, because women are supposed to, like, you know, keep their legs closed and, you know, wait for a nice preacher man to roll up on them and court for, what does Steve Harvey say? 
60 um, days, 90 days, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and then give it up. Can, but <laughs> can you go into that? What exactly was said? I couldn't find anything, but I saw people talking about it, about the respectability politics in the show. I, I've seen a couple of tweets about it that they said it was really heavy handed. And I just, really? I don't know. Nobody yeah, said an example. I have to, I have to, exactly. I'll have to retweet some of them, but yeah, nobody had any examples. They just said, this is really heavy. And I'm just like, where? But for the mm. simple fact that Misty and Luke just got it popping the first two hours of knowing each other, that doesn't sound like respectability politics to me. And I like when she, well, one, the scene itself, um, I needed some water. I had to go pray. <laughs> Go pray. <laughs> I had to get, you had to I, taste the chocolate all of a sudden. I didn't did. You? I, had, had, I did. You had some heart <laughs> on you. <laughs> Don't have diabetes, but I probably need to get a check. Blood sugar <laughs> check. Not that it's weekend, but right. I mean, my God. Right. That is. Um, <laughs> was it, Mike, was it you who said that the sex scenes were trash in Jessica Jones? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. De- okay. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, and I and I instantly thought of you when I saw that sex scene because I was just like, well, it looked like somebody in this side of Marvel said to hell with all of that, and mm, they went in all with it. In. I, I couldn't believe I was watching watching a, a Marvel show or like he said no, before my Disney Disney, Disney related. I'm like, I, I see I see boobs, I see I see everything. Like what? Like uh, Misty wow. Knight's whole titty, side titty. Not, I know. Yeah, like, Yo. <laughs> Like I had to stop, rewind. I'm like, wait, this this is <laughs> like this is Disney is distributing this. This is ABC. What? What is it happening? Was, but it was so tastefully done though. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was the only sex scene throughout the whole series, but it was that it was that on point. That was just all they needed. And then she just taps her shoulder and he zips her up and it's just like, Well, I'll catch you later. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that because there was nothing sleazy about it, it was nothing uh, what's the word the kids use? Thotty about it? Any of that? Just two grown ass <laughs> yeah. people who were really attracted to one another, and you know, shit happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The so my thing, I think why the Jessica Jones uh, sex scenes like didn't work. I think it was just, I think they were just so excited to be able to have. They're like, hey, this is Marvel and this is a Disney property, but we're going to show people having sex. And I think they just kind of went superpower over people the having top. sex. Like that's what they, they really emphasize that because there's a lot of breakage. Of <laughs> but things. also, I don't know, like call it shade. I don't know, but maybe white people just have a different like. I don't know, man. It seems like when it comes to their sex scenes and most media, that shit be looking so fake. But soon as you get to Luke Cage and. You get him and Missy Knight. That shit is it's 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 extremely sensual, and it's it it's almost sensual. believable because they are both. It's it's interesting because they're both equally interacting with each other, e- equally showing appreciation for each other's uh, physical forms. Um, like I, I, I'm sorry, we watched the, so I have to take notes on, but like it, like the ass grab that he did, and then the uh, like she was like kissing his chest and all that. Like it was just like the whole thing was playing out. Like it was a really sort of equal, like it just really came across as like something that was like really genuine or really believable, um, and just like really sexy, just really attractive to look at. I'm like, yo, this is this is impressive. Good job, Disney. Um, Jermaine? Uh, Uh, Yes. Uh, I'm just listening to y'all. I I agree. It was definitely sexy. I mean, I was watching it uh, with my boyfriend, and um, he was like, uh, because he's he's bi, 
And he was like, I don't, he kept looking back at me and looking back at the TV like, you see this? I said, okay, look, I do see it. It was very hot, very sexy. I mean, I, I was surprised, especially when he, he grabbed his, her ass and stuff. I was like, this is really happening. Like, it was, um, I was like, this is really sensual. Um, but she, Simone, you got a, a great body. You are a gorgeous woman. Uh, Mike Coulter, you are a, um, a chocolate bear. You are. Just say he's a beautiful man. He, he's easy. a very. I, I'm. These are, those are other words I can use to describe him. Bear. He what? No, he is a bear. He's big. He's really muscular. He has a really like a humble appearance about him. That's what makes Bears him so attractive. Bears are scary. Yeah. Well, I'm in, in, in just appearance. Teddy alone. bear. That's the word you're looking for. Sure. Maybe we can. I can say we can say that teddy bear. Um, but very beautiful people just having a good time, being very sensual with one another. Uh, and like you said, stuff. The fact that she walked away at the end, it didn't feel like there was any slut shaming going on or anything like that. It was just you know two responsible adults having a good time, and then after that, it was over. Um, but I do enjoy, I did enjoy the uh, reaction when she found out who Luke Cage was. Like, she saw him in the barbershop and she was like, oh, <laughs> damn. Luke you know, Cage was talking so much shit right there, though. <laughs> like, just getting under her skin. Uh, all the petty I loved shit. It. Mm-hmm. Dog, when she left the barbershop, the way she looked at that nigga, like, <laughs> the way she turned back and looked at the way her eyes went, like, looked them up and down, like. Uh huh. It's very clear. This this is the thing too, right? The a term the, ki- the kids are using nowadays is called dickmatize, and I think that's excuse what me. I'm was. sorry. What did you just say? It's called dickmatize. They're, are they right? really using that though? Really? Oh, they really are. What? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Kids are using it these okay. days, and and based on what I've come to understand about it, that's what they kind of sort of portrayed a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think Misty was pretty. Dickmatized. I mean, Luke Cage just seemed like somebody who would just kind of like ruin your life. Um, <laughs> just like he's just like one of those life ruiners. So, you know, it, it's it it's it was really dope. Just that whole fun interaction between those two. It was so petty. It, it was just so petty. And you know what? Uh, I guess this is skipping ahead, but I'll just I'll preview it uh, for the last uh, the second part. But it was. Thinking about that and then seeing Misty and Claire's interactions as the show goes on, especially episodes 8 through 13, um, that just further went back to episode one with Misty and Luke sleeping together. It was just really one of those moments, I guess, for me, I'm thinking like, okay, so these are two people that are going to probably end up being platonic. But you can just tell that that was just a moment when that happened, because the way that her and Claire interact after that I don't think that would be something that would happen between two women if one of them still had, um, I guess, feelings or whatever. Yeah. I don't and think she's ever emotionally invested. No, me either. That's I think. Uh, and and what was that she said at one of the episodes that as cops, you know, we drink, um, we have sex when we're hurt, and mm-hmm. I wonder yeah. if Luke at the time was just an outlet for her. Um, yeah, I just wonder if he was the outlet for it at that time. I mean, I hate to say that she used Luke, but I mean, hell, who wouldn't use Luke for that? <laughs> Shameless. Uh, no, <laughs> now, yeah, um, one of the things, one of the things I recently heard about, one uh, criticism I recently heard from Hearsay, um, uh, Jamie uh, from Black Girl Nerds uh, pointed out 
somebody who said uh, who said some nonsense about you know not liking Misty Knight as uh, sexual fodder for Luke, and this is like, is it really uh, sexual fodder? Like, is that? Like, like, is that really appropriate? Like, why can't he be sexual fodder for her? Like, it's an equal experience. Like, two people are going to have sex. That's just what happens. And she develops beyond that point. Um, so, yeah, some of the critiques I've heard about the show in general are, like, some of them are valid, but a lot of them are definitely not, um, including a respectability politics one. And the only example I got, and we're going to transition right into that because it has to do with episode two. It was about mainly about Luke's uh, hangups with the N-word, I guess, when he was like, he was like, you know, I, he's like, I'm not tired enough. I'll never be tired enough to uh, be cool with anybody calling me uh, that word. He's like, you gonna call me that in front of a building named, named after our greatest, one of our greatest heroes. I guess some people thought that was preaching and shit, but what niggas gotta understand is that it's, the reality is the uh, blackness is multifaceted. You know what I'm saying? There are people, there are people who are a little bit older, people around Cage's age who have their hangups about the word. That's how it has always been. You know what I'm saying? He's a country boy from the South who dealt with a lot of shit. From a Baptist church, him. very conservative, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Conservative from back, not that conservative, be out here just smashing the audience. I mean, you know what I mean? He had a conservative yeah. background, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, where he comes from, it's kind of believable for him to be like, I mean, I'm not really cool with somebody calling me that word. He's not saying, don't use that word, but it's like, nigga, don't call me that word. And he has every right to be like that. You know, just because he says that doesn't mean it's like respectability politics, because, like, what else? Like, like how? You know what I'm saying? I don't feel attacked. I say nigga all the time. I'm from a different generation from Luke Cage. I don't feel attacked. Like, he don't want to be called it. Nigga, he don't want to be called it. But niggas be wanting to just hate on everything that people love because I guess they're bored or something. I don't know. Niggas just want to be just I guess. And then on top of that, I mean, it's not like so Luke had his way about how he felt about the N-word, but it's not like every black person in the show felt the same way as him. I'm like, mm-hmm. he's entitled, like you said, to feel that way about someone calling him a nigga. I mean, I didn't, like I said, like, I didn't see, I felt like somebody had just took, uh, maybe right now I was taking, I don't know, African-American studies one-on-one, maybe <laughs> 98, and they just learned the word respectability politics, and they just so happened to watch Luke Cage this week, and they just put the two together, and they were like, oh, okay, let me use this today, because where? Like, I can't find it anywhere, and even, um, and you could tell that for Luke, you know, that word just bothers him because he ends up giving um, the guy a history lesson. Mm-hmm. And that history lesson also didn't feel forced. Like, I've watched some things where it feels like somebody's dumping something over my head looking at you, barbershop. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I didn't feel that way in this at all. Even when he gave him that history lesson, I'm sitting there like, well, shit, should I be writing notes now right now? Because <laughs> he's really speaking to me and my blackness. So I'm... Like you said, niggas just like to be mad about stuff. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how it would be, man. It's it's annoying. Like, but that's just that's just the reality. But you know what I'm saying? Thankfully, the people, you know what I'm saying? Thankfully, generally the target audience really fucks with it. And I and that's another problem with uh certain um critics is that it's not for them. Like, this is the thing. Like Luke Cage is very clearly not for them. Um, and they don't get it, right? Like, it's there are some critics, there are some white critics who 
who appreciate the show because they recognize that it's not for them because they recognize the privileges that they have had in superhero media. You know, they want a show that's about them, that centers them, go watch fucking Daredevil, you know, <laughs> or Jessica Jones. That's, and they are aware of that, but you have some people that are like, what was the shit that um, Rebecca Theodore uh, shared from the New York Times? Uh, oh, that was... Luke was better off as a supporting character on Jessica Jones. I'm like, if you don't get the fuck out of here with that bullshit, because ain't no way in hell. Like, I'm sorry, I do not want to see Luke Cage go back to Jessica Jones at all. At Me all. Either. Not on the show. No, nigga. That's no. Fuck what happened in the comics. Nah, nigga. No. We're not doing that. Just keep them separate because Luke is such a strong character within his own series, uh, within like the 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 spirit of Parliament all the characters around him. It's just such a strong show. So much stronger than Jessica Jones, in my opinion. Like, it would be such a step back to bring him to, you know, Whiteville over there. Hell, sketchy, I guess. <laughs> and just to... Uh, Whiteville. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, no... I guess no shade to Jessica Jones, but after experiencing him in Harlem, I can't see him going back to Hell's Kitchen in that form to go back to her because we got Reva, right? We got her in episode five, was that? Yeah, five or six when he when they do, they do his uh, backstory when he was at Seagate. And um, man, they should have never showed me that because it just pissed me off more that way that she was handled in Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. And then she was just killed. Like, I just can't see... <sighs> I definitely can't see it now. Like, I know what's in the comment. I know canon explaining. I know all of that. But um, new canon, who this? Because I just can't see him going back to a woman who killed his killed his wife. Even though, you know, we later learn he kind of lets it slip that he doesn't know if he necessarily loved her. Like, loved her idea of her. But still, I just... Like, him being with Jessica Jones just kind of um, seems like a step back to me because of the way he was treated, way he way she treated him. Like, I didn't feel a strong Luke Cage when he was with her. I felt a broken Luke Cage. Oh, my God. And now that he's gone to Harlem and gotten his shit together, going back to her just seems very regressive. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. I, I'm just yeah. not realizing, making the connection that Jessica Jones... Oh, his wife... Oh, snap! <laughs> Ah, oh, no, seriously, I just got it. I, <laughs> wow, okay, that's wow, interesting. But yeah, um, you can't go back from that. But no, wait, I, I had a point, I have a point, I have a point. Um, no, you don't. I do. I you made me forget. Um, that, go ahead, Mike, because you made me forget what I was about to say. Um, yeah, go ahead. Ah, oh, shoot, you, you got it. Just no, I'm thinking. I forgot uh, my point too. I think it was so, about responsibility politics it, or uh, something about um, yeah, because I had so many thoughts going through my mind as you guys were talking. Um, yeah, go yeah, go ahead. Uh, shit, I forgot my point too. Um, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. such a bar. Um, <laughs> oh well, okay. So yeah, the real thing, like yeah, I just it just it it can't work, like. Jessica Jones killed his wife and then fucked him terribly, probably. Um, lied to him. Uh, like, without knowing consent. Like, that's the main thing. Like, just kind of lied to this nigga. Fucked him. Like, you, how do you kill a woman and then fuck, his, fuck her husband? That's weird. Like, that's some really weird shit. How do you come back from that? That's some white shit. Whole, hmm? 
<laughs> like it's 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 strange, man. Like you you can't come back. I can't imagine Luke just like forgiving that if he does, and that's just such a real far step backwards from the character. You know, forgiveness is one thing, but this is like, nigga, are you fucking out of your mind? Like, oh, I'm gonna be with this 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 terrible person, this actually objectively shitty human being because the comics say so. The point I, I just remember I wanted to bring up was the, the prison scene when he was at Seagate, Luke, and um, uh, how it, it was a bit of a social commentary on um, mass incarceration of, of black men and the experimentation of black men or black bodies and just how that scene was treated. It, it, didn't, it didn't feel two on the nose. It didn't feel forced. It was, it felt organic, but it still told something powerful because obviously we have, that's a big issue. And that's something that Ava DuVernay is going to, as I know, is going to address in her new documentary coming to Netflix. I forgot when, I think it's next year. And I forgot the name of the name of the documentary. Y'all hear about that? Uh-huh. I think yeah. it's called 13. 13. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, so seeing a bit of that, but in with a bit of a superhero twist, that was really interesting. Um and then like just I'm not sure if this is uh episode uh one through seven, I don't know if I should mention it, but the the, the twist that happened in, in towards the end of the series where we find out that someone was not who she said she was. Um, oh, yeah. That sort of kind of threw me off guard. I was like, whoa, you know, because she, she was so, you know, I just, I liked her as a character. But um, just witnessing that and going back and forth in my mind between episodes and, um, yeah, I mean, what do you think about that stuff? Uh, wait, are we talking about uh, Reba? Is that Reba? Yes, Reba. Um, Reba, Reba, and then um, also just the whole mass incarceration thing. Oh, got you. Okay, I got you. Um, so I really enjoyed episode five because um, they they bring that up and it wasn't uh, romanticized in any type of way or sensationalized. Like they were in there and uh, like you see this. Well, we don't see it, but we hear about it all the time. And just like you said, the just the abuse and neglect of black bodies in in jail, and maybe not experimenting on them right now, but you know just free labor and all of that and the fact that they had them fighting which made me just think of um uh it made me think of quentin tarantino and Django and how but it did this if he would have done this movie i mean that movie but people have done this series it just would have yeah are you ready to say it too oh yes i didn't even bother to read it but what did he say me neither what did he say (laughs) He said that it wasn't. Um, he would. He wanted it to be a black exploitation. Oh, okay. Like it wasn't black enough. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> From a so. white dude, don't like. What does that even mean? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> it, he wants to be like Black Dynamite or some shit like that. And well, we already had Black Dynamite. So yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? But he can go kick. But I'm glad he. I'm glad he did not do this series because just the whole the fighting and the corrupt. Uh, the crux CEO and I just like I said I just felt like it really spoke to you know our prison system and how fucked up it is but it didn't dwell on it too long it just gave you you know just a bit of this while also giving you Luke's backstory and how he became who he was and just the experimenting part that um 
it struck a nerve, but not like in a in a horrible way. But it's just like you know, it made me think of um, uh, was it the Tuskegee Airmen or oh the um the Tuskegee uh, experiments or something yes, like that? Yeah, that made me think of that. And um, I don't know if they you know thought of that when they were in the creation of Luke Cage or any of that, but it just made me think of that. And I'm just like you know what if stuff like this is going on in our prisons, not, you know, making superheroes, but, you know, just kind of experimenting on black bodies because people feel as though we're not human. Uh, we're just walking, talking upright cattle. Yeah. Animals pretty much. And like, I just yeah. thinking, um, how differently this series would have played out if it was not from a black showrunner. Like, I mean, it's just things that in the show that you just can't not, have or cannot like portray if you are black if you don't have that perspective if you don't have that experience i mean the the community based stuff the the small uh the small character moments you cannot have those things if you are not black because you don't have that perspective and you can only assume uh stuff uh but i just yeah for sure yeah the only only time i would even think about accepting a show like this maybe from uh from a white uh, showrunner is if the dude, if it was the dude who uh, made the wire, and that's the only, yeah. that's the only conceivable way. And even that nigga is step, been stepping out of line a little bit recently. So it's uh, so yeah. I just nah. This is this reason the show works so well is because it's just black through and through. The actors, the showrunners, the writers, the directors, like it's just such a a black experience. You know the. The spirit of Harlem. They they made Harlem a character in itself. Everything is a character. Every element is a character. Harlem, the music, especially the music. Oh God, the music. Yeah. <laughs> First episode, Raphael Sadiq, man, yeah. that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Some beautiful scene uh, transitions, like yeah. you know, he's he's singing, and it, you know, it sounds dope. But then it gets to the point where they're showing uh, the dumb kids, you know interrupting the uh the gun deal and you know shooting and while that's happening it's like these smooth transitions between Raphael Sadiq Singh with this really harsh red light on um and this cold blue scene it was this really beautiful uh like cinematics right there yeah, the cinematography was go- is gorgeous in the series like it's yes. very nice very well done uh, and then Faith Evans too that's nice to see her um I'm a big fan oh, yeah. of hers um yeah but yeah the music was great Huh? And she was Stevie J now? Oh my God! What? Mm-hmm. That's that's what. <laughs> you, know, you know what? <laughs> Let's move on because I'm not. Ooh. All right. Uh, Wonder she was the off key. <laughs> Why? Why? Why are? Okay, let me. Okay, I... let's bring it back to Luke Cage because I. My God. Um, mm, All right. Uh, the barbershop scene in the first episode, <laughs> I thought, was um, very well done. Even as a woman, I, I've actually spent many times at the barbershop with my dad and my brothers um, when I had tag along. And the conversations that, that they were having were ones that I remember from my childhood and having to sit there and listen to you know, my dad and the guy cutting his hair and everybody in there talking about sports and just all of that. And maybe that's why this Misty Knight um, iteration speaks to me so loudly, because Misty said she was 
at the shop with her dad, with Pops, all the time. That's what made her love basketball, and she didn't really think about it until later that it was because of hearing them talk is why she ended up wanting to play basketball. Mm-hmm. The relatability, the smallness, the mm-hmm. small exactly. thing this show. Her jump shot is pretty good, too. Like, they ain't had to do yeah. no scene, scene cuts or nothing. She was just, like, wetting them bad boys. Yeah, I got this. Playing horse. Well, she's in. from Detroit, too, so, I mean, that's another thing. But uh, I mean, nigga, she could be from Chicago. It'd be the same shit. She can ball. Like, uh, but, <laughs> look, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you have it. <laughs> and she, I'm just saying. And she had, um, well, Another thing, she was doing it in the heels too. That was impressive uh-huh. too. Like she was just like, "Oh, let me let me show you this this this, this jump shot I got." Fucking uh, like who's a? Uh... Well, she was Kobe. Like she was acting like she was Kobe for a second mm-hmm. on the court. It was really dope to see like the whole the whole spray painted initials of, of the little playground legends that she was one yeah, of. MK, yeah. She said, "You must not know who I is. <laughs> this is my stuff the ground back in the day." <laughs> but it added another layer of depth to her depth to her personality you you get to see what she likes you get like really early on you know a lot about her and the things like what she believes in mm-hmm. what she loves casually you know like she likes Raphael Sadiq she uh she likes to look nice you know what I'm saying she likes to wear twist outs thankfully mm-hmm. um she likes basketball you know she is uh, she's just a really cool person overall, and this is early on, you know, and there's still so much more to unpack with the character. And this is why I say this, um, that this was the best Misty Knight that I have seen um, compared to the comics, because um, everything I've read, I've never gotten as much backstory from her. It's always little tidbits here and there. I remember reading Daughters of the Dragon and Colleen brings up, you know, um, Misty, how would your dad feel if he knew that you weren't on the police force anymore? But they never go back into that as to like, so what was her relationship with her dad? So somebody, whoever wrote Misty Knight must have, I mean, of course they read the source material, but I wonder if they read some of that tidbits, especially from Daughters of the Dragon, and decided to expand upon that. And if they did, if you're listening, thank you, because that just has not been done. Every time I've read her in the comics, it's always a small snippet. She's never really fleshed out, in my opinion, in the comics, because she's always a kind of a secondary character, always just kind of there to show support for all the other characters. And even in Daughters of the Dragon, where, you know, her and Colleen are the main centerpieces, you still don't really get that... Um, you know, what makes Misty Knight Misty Knight other than, yeah, she's, you know, a strong woman. Yeah, she's a badass and all of these other things. But, you know, what makes her tick? What makes her a woman? What makes her who she is? And the fact that they pulled all of that out of material that they really didn't have it from is something that I just have the utmost respect for. And how can she not carry her own series after this? Mm-hmm. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. She and I mean, she- no, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say um, like series and Netflix or also just comic series. Like whoever wrote Misty Knight for Luke Cage, have them write that. Mm. Mm, I'm all for that. I got to ask you stuff since you, you mentioned that, you know, Misty has only uh, had her backstories has, has only been introduced like in small snippets. Like what attracted you to the, to the character? Like why is she a favorite of yours? I don't know. Something about um, I always loved Pam Greer. Okay. And um, the what was my 
I think I was reading Iron Fist, maybe that's what it was, and she had the full-on Pam Greer fro in that. And something about that just really clicked with me, and I just really thought the character was fun and just really enjoyed her. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she was just always kind of there. It wasn't actually until I heard that she was going to be a part of Luke Cage, what was this, three years ago possibly, that I was like, well, let me go back and revisit Misty Knight. And that's when I um, finally read Daughters of the Dragon because I hadn't read it and read everything else except for that. And um, that was the first series that I had read with her where I was just like, okay, so there is way more to her. But still, there was this mysteriousness, and that's when my imagination took over, and I was just like, well, you know, this is who I think Misty Knight is behind the scenes. And it's just kind of eerie and a little crazy, though, that while watching this, while watching Luke Cage, the Misty Knight that was on my screen was the Misty Knight that I've always envisioned her to be. If, you know, if I had ever written her or someone else had written her. I think Jeremy Whitley is probably the only person I've read. And unfortunately, um, when he's written Misty Knight, it's only been in like eight page spans, um, has been the best because he actually makes her sound like an actual person that I can go, you know, sit down with and have um, coffee with. Oh, well, you know what? Take that back. <laughs> have lemonade with. There you go. Have lemonade with, but I mean, in another life. But, I mean, if uh, you, you know, okay, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you guys know what I mean. Yeah. And it just makes me wonder and it makes me think, you know, what if um, whomever these writers are, because shouts out to them if they got a hold of a storm. Mm. Do you imagine? We can only pray, right? Right, had been written to this degree in those X-Men movies. Mm. 16 years of X-Men films that I just cannot... Storm has not made uh, a very significant uh, impact on pop culture. At, the, at least the impact that she should have made in this amount of time. Like She should have been had a, a successful trilogy by now. She should have had a full line of clothes dedicated to her, just her... Uh, just like five comic book series, like uh, an animated series just for her, everything. But uh, yeah, you're right, Steph. I agree. Yeah, I mean, realistically speaking, I think like had the X-Men movies been done right and been done correctly, because I mean, even even though people like kind of sort of regard X-Men 1 and 2 as pretty good, they, they still kind of suck now in retrospect. If those movies were done right and a storm was treated the way that she was supposed to be treated as a character she would she would reach much higher iconography i feel like as a as a character but she's just been like okay number one we're gonna play her with a we're gonna have this strong like this powerful uh black like african woman gonna get a, do- a docile like mi- mixed woman to play her and just like sort of be in the background and like you know look up in the sky, make her eyes turn white and, you know, lightning and then that's it. Like, that's all we're going to do. It's just such a waste. It's such a monumental waste. Um, I, um, the Apocalypse one, I mean, Storm was better there, but, nah, man. Like, I still haven't seen the movie. Don't. I mean, mm. I mean, you can, but, I mean, let me not be that harsh. Um, <laughs> just, okay. just uh, for free. So, for free. wait till it's streaming. Okay. It's not, because yeah, like, it's not, that bad. No, it's, it's not just, that bad. It's just more of the same. Yeah, it's more of the same. Like mm, okay. the, the flaws in X Men Apocalypse kind of sort of make you realize how kind of bad the series overall is. 
<laughs> like when you realize like uh, these are like they have the same flaws as everything else, but it kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that, that pretty much tells you like all the black women and all the women of color on this show on Luke Cage have shown way more agency and development than uh, Storm has on screen, oh, and yeah, that's for sure. that's fucking pathetic. Storm's been on screen for sixteen years. Or a Catwoman, and that was a whole Steph. Steph, let's you know what? Sh- <laughs> that's a, that's a whole like different. You know, I saw you had like a different something going on when you mentioned that on Twitter and people was in your mentions talking trash about what what were they talking about? What was they, you know, bantering about? They told me that um, Catwoman, you know, we had Catwoman, so that was what we should be happy about. Mm. We should just be okay okay with that. And I was like, all right, but she's not even a superhero, but okay, Mm -hmm. y'all can't read, but that's fine. But I mean, I just, Luke, I mean, I'm sorry, Luke Cage forces you to draw comparisons to how women of color have been treated in these in other superhero mediums. It just hasn't been all that great. Um, you know, Amanda Waller maybe is the closest to possibly, um, I don't know, like being a distant cousin to how the women of color were written on Luke Cage. <laughs> or in, in, as far as in Suicide Squad, like, you know, because Viola Davis just, really brought it to the table but I, I don't know how they can go back after this I don't know how they can expect us to go back to just patiently waiting our turn um, to be included at the party I just I don't know and this makes me feel like you know Black Panther even more excited because that's something else that is going to be all black everything behind the camera and on camera and it just makes me more excited for that because if Luke Cage did this, and I mean, I don't want to put pressure on Black Panther, but it just shows that I know people say they don't want tokenism and, you know, black people shouldn't have to write black characters and blah, blah, blah. But no, we do because, um, you know, white people don't really know a lot about us other than um, surface level because they consume they consume blackness, but only skin deep. And it shows because, you know, when they watch something like a Luke Cage, they don't get all the small Easter eggs. But when we turn around and we watch something they have, um, sometimes we do catch those Easter eggs because, you know, they're the center of, you know, what we consume on a day to day basis living here in America, just really all over the world, period, because, you know, we learn about history, which is mostly white history. And we can catch on to what they have going on culturally, but it's not the same for them in the reverse. That's why, you know, what was it? Someone, when the whole Riri Williams thing uh, popped up for the new Iron Man or whatever, and someone said, well, you know, we don't want them to hire a black woman to write just specifically for her tokenism. But I'm just like, you know, I don't know. I, I wore back and forth with that because some things do require a black voice behind it. And as we've seen time and time again, um, you know, for black women characters, no, you need someone, a, a black woman to write behind that, or at least a man who knows how to write women. But no, just go ahead and hire a sister. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think we're, we're trying to get to the point where we feel like anyone can write anything. As of right now, we're trying to fill in gaps. So everyone has to write characters that they, you know, understand the perspective of um and we're trying to you know 
fix these disparities that are going on. Because uh, mm. one day we can have a, a black. I mean, I can't, I'll be excited for the day where we have a black woman writing um, a, a, a white main character in a, in a big budget movie um, without it being a big deal. Because I know Ava DuVernay with her movie coming up with um, uh, A Wrinkle in Time. She is the. I said this on the previous Black Word podcast where. It's a hundred, a one hundred million dollar film, and she's the the first black woman to be given that much for a big budget movie, and that's a big deal. But it shouldn't be uh, because we we shouldn't. Uh, we, it shows that we still have a long ways to go. We, so we want to get to the point where we feel like that announcement shouldn't be a big deal because we have a lot of gaps to fill, as I said, and then like we we just. Yeah, there's a lot of disparities we have to take care of. But I agree, do agree with you, Steph. I think sometimes with tokenism, it can get tricky because we, we don't want to feel like we're being too cliche with different things. But sometimes it's necessary to have that perspective, to have that Asian perspective writing an Asian character or a black perspective writing a black character or a female character writing, um, you know, a female perspective writing a, a female character because uh, that's important because we obviously see that those groups of people aren't represented enough, so we have to make sure that those things are taken care of accordingly until we get to the point where we feel like we can finally say, well, we're here. You know, we're, we are uh, not equal, I guess, but we are, um, I don't know, even, but I don't feel like we'll get to that point anytime at soon, if at all, because there will always be forces combating progression. So, yeah, I mean, what do you think, Mike? Um, yeah, the thing with tokenism is that I mean, it, it's mandatory to have people to reflect that experience if it's integral to the character's identity. I think that's the main thing, you know. Yeah. You got somebody like Luke Cage. You got somebody like Misty Knight. These are characters who whose blackness play a central role to the story, and it's necessary to have, you know, writer uh, like black writers uh, tackle them. Um, but when you have things that are like. Now, for lack of a better term, I guess more like colorblind situations where like, OK, for example, Halo, like video game uh, Halo 5, where the protagonist is a black man, his race didn't doesn't really play a role um, or one of the other characters is a black woman. Their race, their race doesn't play a role. So it like they're black characters, but they're not written by black people. And it's not a problem because, you know, this. It, that's not a part of their experience. But if it's a story that's centering blackness, not only as an identity, but also as like a culture, um, like as a culture that we've created, then yeah, you have to do that. You have to sort of uh, embrace tokenism. Now, the thing is, and what people have to understand is that we like black people, people of color, we can write white people easily because mm -hmm. as you said, that's the, that's the default to uh, that's what we forced. We've been forced to consume our entire lives. We have been integrated into white culture uh, in a sense that like, every like we know all of their inside jokes. We know their humor. We know their culture. We know everything. We can write them better than they can write themselves, probably. But they can't write for us because they're not exposed to us. You know what I'm saying unless you are, I don't know, like you're just living here you're one of those like few white people that just like live surrounded by blackness we're but, not forcing our culture down their throats like well, they, we are, they are ours. yeah we can't yeah we can't we're not the majority they think we do and that's probably why um jeremy whitley was able to write misty knight um the way that he was because um i had a conversation with him on twitter um found out his wife is actually black 
Mm. And he said that when he wrote her, he thought of his wife and her interactions with her mother and all of his other things. And it showed. Mm. So, I mean, just to go to your point, unless they're kind of submerged in black culture, um, because they're living with a black person, you know, they're just submerged in black culture. That would be the only way they would be able to kind of get it. And even still, they wouldn't get it, get it, because they're not black. They're not living that experience on a day-to-day basis. Right, yeah. And then, yeah, I see a lot of people who, um, like writers who are not from a marginalized group, um, they they often consult with people who are in marginalized groups, especially if they're writing a character that is, I hate using this word, but a minority or a underrepresented uh, individual, like a person of color or a woman. And I think that's important uh, to, to, to have that, but that only gets you so far. Like I've seen a lot of complaints from people when, uh, for example, I'm using Wonder Woman. Like Wonder Woman has had, all these different male writers for all those years he's existed and people are upset. Even though the current run is doing great, a lot of people are still annoyed at the fact that she has yet to be given a female writer. And this applies for any other character, any other representative group too, that while it's cool that you have a a white person can consult with as many black people as they want uh, and write a really great series dealing around blackness or whatever, um, that only gets you so far. So it's important to recognize that and know when... Uh, you know, when to step down pretty much and when to, you know, uh, just you got to find that balance. You got to be aware of your privilege, too. Yeah. Okay. So back to the actual show, though. No, sorry. Uh, No, no, it's fine. Um, I'm trying to think, like, is there anything? Oh, the prison scene. I actually want to talk about that a little bit more. Y'all notice how much he looked like Kimbo Slice, if y'all know who that is. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's like he looked just like Himbo Slice with the beard and the and that nappy twelve years a slave wig that uh that struggle wig he had on. <laughs> then he had the Shaman Boy wig when he braided it up. It was really uh it was really interesting to see that happen. But kind of I see it now. I'm looking at a picture. Can you imagine of it now. if they would have released if those set photos had released. I know and it made me think of that because of the um, Iron Fist photos that have been released and I'm like those are comical as hell and I'm just like <laughs> whoever um, they made, they should have took um, a, a page from the Luke Cage book and like released the best set photos that they could because if Luke Cage would have released those prior to the other ones I just really I don't think it would necessarily would have changed the reception but Jokes would have got off. Yeah, he would have. So, he would have caught the jokes. <laughs> he all the jokes. So I mean, oh, he was looking raggedy, and then he shaved with the bick. Now, I get that his skin is indestructible, so he wouldn't get caught cut up and all of that. But when I tweeted that, I was more so thinking like, a bick's not giving you that pre- that precision. <laughs> I've watched my father shave. I've watched my husband shave. That's not happening with a big. You need a bevel. You need a bevel. Yeah, I'm saying they should have hit a bevel. Like that would have been perfect. <laughs> right, and marketing too for Tristan Walker. Yeah, yeah. They like, should have gave him a bevel, or at the very least, or uh, just a single razor, Some, like single blade razor. Because oof, he was in. <laughs> wow, Reva was out there getting ready. He probably took a nap. Uh uh-uh. But um. Something else. Oh yeah, I love the callback to his old costume. Mm-hmm. Like they did. I like. I thought they were just gonna do the the little bracelets and tiaras. Oh, yeah, they too. did the whole uh-huh, thing. The shirt and everything. <laughs> the shirt and everything. I was just like, how? Like it, it was so authentic too. It was just like this looks ridiculous, see, look but it like looks so fool. genuine. <laughs> it's like you look like a damn fool. Uh, like, and he did. 
Didn't he have the chain did. around his waist too? Mm, uh, did he? Yeah, he did. Or yeah, a rope did. or some shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was well, they tried to though to see how it looked, but now we see. You know, it wouldn't have worked. So I'm glad we got what we got. Yeah, man. Yeah, y'all remember when John Singleton was attached to direct the Luke Cage movie with like Tyrese or some shit? Oh yeah. So how long ago was that? Mm. Mm-hmm. That's going on since like 2003, I think. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't really. It's like this was around the early age of superhero movies, where the only good superhero movies were the Spider-Man joints. But they were talking about doing, uh, yeah, Luke Cage was either going to be like The Rock or uh, Tyrese. Tyrese. And, He's trying to get in everything. Man. Michael, uh, what's the name? The uh, Old Spice dude, uh, Chris ah. Rock. Hey, he's sexy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that would work, but no, I'm I'm happy that it's my culture. Like I, I actually have seen him recently. I think it was a Halo movie. Yeah, it was Halo, uh, Halo Five. That's who we. Yeah, ironically, uh, I just mentioned that coincidentally. Yes, he was the protagonist in Halo Five. Um, and in the movie. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, I mean, I and I saw that prior to realizing that he was actually Luke Cage, and I was like, man, who is this guy? He should be in the Marvel. Universe and hey, there he is. Boom. It was perfect casting. I feel like you know this was a really fresh take on Luke Cage. And I, you know, I talked to Jermaine about this and I tweeted this as well. But all of the previous media, like the drawings of Luke Cage, and see, it's just like really intense and like he's screaming, he's huge, just like bullets. He looks angry. He looks kind of scary. But when you the Mike Coulter take it, it does a similar thing uh, that Chris Evans did with Steve Rogers, and it prevents a more genuine and believable portrayal. You know, yeah. you see somebody who is humble. You see somebody who is relatively quiet. Um, he's not loud. He's not abrasive. He shows his emotions. He doesn't feel the need to take charge in every situation. He lets you ride and reacts how he should react. It's it's a really interesting uh, portrayal, and I'm like. I'm really glad they picked Mike Coulter because I don't think any other actor would have been able to portray that. Now Tyrese loud ass. Hell no. <laughs> <It's> He's <speaking> loud. <laughs> I wanted to ask both of you this um, because I thought that it was, um, I don't know, the way that masculinity is presented in Luke Cage, the first seven episodes. Um, how did you guys feel about that? Michael. Well, I'll say, um, it was better than I thought it would be. Uh, <laughs> It's better than what you would generally expect coming out of um, a show that centers like a black male superhero who's like super strong. Um, you know, masculinity, like it's an honest portrayal of masculinity within uh, the culture. You know, first episode, you know, you know, Luke is uh, sweeping up and a uh, lawyer lady with the son. She's like hitting on him and he, she's like, time you get off. He's like, oh, I got another job after this. And it's like, oh, black man working. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, and then it's like the next episode is something else similar. Like, oh, you know, it's called work. You need to like, you know, that whole notion of black men like always have to work. That's reinforced. And I have my hangups about that, too, because, yeah. You know, it's like a lot of us die because we work ourselves to death without without breaks. But at the but it's it's honest. Like it's honest. That's how a lot of people operate. That's a lot of people. That's how a lot of people I know operate in Detroit. Um, like and or a lot of areas that's similar to like Harlem. And yeah, but when it comes to other uh, aspects, like I don't think he's ever shamed for for crying. Cottonmouth is a little bit toxic when he's uh beating the shot of uh what's the kid's name was either Dante or Shamik, one of them. Um, when he slacks me, he was like, I slacked you like a bitch because I don't use a closed fist on a woman. Mm-hmm. And um, 
then he starts and then when he spits on him he's like nah, i get you like a man like it's very obviously toxic but he's a villain so i can accept that from him because it's like well you're not shit anyway so i guess but overall the presentation of masculinity particularly from luke cage i like jermaine yes um i agree uh like we talked about earlier it was nice to see that there was an emotional spectrum with Luke Cage, especially with, with him being a large, dark-skinned black man. You know you know how society treats black men, especially dark-skinned black men. Um, like we are often, even men darker than I am, are often seen as monsters or just, you know, just generally inhuman. But it was it's nice to see him being so, uh, convey sadness, convey happiness, anger, it just... In, in a really genuine way, it just if he felt like an, a, a really a real person, you know, he felt like it felt like Mike was playing himself. I don't know. How, I don't know how he acts in person, but it, it seems like this was this is how he is every day. So it didn't seem like he was acting because it felt so real. Um, but I thought, like you like you said, Mike, the uh, Cottonmouth, his his version of masculinity was definitely accurate, too. And it was extremely toxic. Um but it's nice to have that balance. But obviously, he he was a villain, so that's to be expected from someone like him. Uh, but it, it's nice to have a contrasting level of or different amounts of ma- expressions of masculinity, uh, especially on a show that emphasizes um, blackness. Um, but yeah, so I thought it was very very interesting. So, what do you think, Steph? Um, I just have to agree with you all. I am. Um... Tried to pay attention to that, and I thought that it was um, handled well. As even though Cottonmouth, uh, his portrayal of masculinity was toxic. Toxic, I think when they gave that backstory of him and Mariah, it kind of explained that more mm-hmm. because that's real, right? You know, he. I mean, there's a lot of Cornells running around who grew up that same way, and like that's you know, how they consider being a man. And that's the way he handled things when he was beating the crap out of, um, I think the guy, Shamika or whatever his name was. And I appreciated the parallels between him and Luke in that regard. So, um, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I didn't feel like anything was just an eye roll. And like you said, I felt like it was genuine too. Mm -hmm. It's not like they lied about anything. It's not like these portrayals of masculine don't actually exist in our communities because they do. So um, no, I thought it was thought it was fine. I like that he he cried. I like that Cottonmouth cried. Yeah. Oh yeah, he did cry. Like, yeah. Right after Pop died. And I like that Pop. And actually, the interaction with Pop and um, uh, the 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 boy who uh, Luke has to go like he kicked the door down to go find uh, Chico. Yeah. Chico. Oh, Chico. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Like their their yeah. interaction and Pop comes in and he hugs him and he. You know, that's really raw emotion yeah. and he's happy to see him that he's still alive, but at the same time pissed at him because he's being an idiot. So like what, a father what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah like a father would. And yeah. I and I just I appreciate it that I really did because I felt like it showed you all in a light that you don't often see sometimes that, you know, as you know, strong and as hardworking as black men can be at the same time, you know, you guys, you know, are more than that. You can express emotion. You can be, and that's be vulnerable. Popular. You can be vulnerable. Yeah. And Luke was that, Pop was that, Cottonmouth was that to a certain extent. So I, um, I thought it was good. Yeah. I mean, that scene was especially touching with um, Pop coming in and hugging Chico, like just because he obviously felt uh, strong ties with his barbershop, with his, because it, 
he built a community in that shop and he grew attached to a lot of the people that came in, especially the, the young dudes. He said, like, I wanted to set a positive example for them or I want them to come in here to feel like it's a safe space because when they go outside, it's a different world. So seeing him embrace Chico like that, it, it kind of it was a, a bit emotional because it showed just how much he cared and how much of a father, a father figure he wanted to be despite his own past. And I that was really interesting too, knowing that Pop came from a really dark past himself and seeing how both him and Cottonmouth went in entirely different directions at the end of their journeys. Yeah. Yeah, man, he... This is funny because Cottonmouth was kind of following in Pop's footsteps and Pop was like, hey, you know what, never mind, I'm not doing this. But Cottonmouth was like, well... I guess I'm going to keep going. Like, it's interesting. You know, it's just a really interesting dynamic. But that established loyalty is is really noteworthy between Pop and uh, Cottonmouth. Um, because, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that dark past of his and how, you know, Cottonmouth and Chico's dad uh, were, like, sort of rolling with him while he was beating the shit out of people. Um, and then just sort of he... What was it? He went to jail. He got locked up for 10 years. He had a son um, that he never got a chance to meet. He got out. He was like, yo, I can't be about this shit no more. And he established the barbershop, mm-hmm. which was, they described the Switzerland. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, no, no war. None of that shit takes place here. You know what I'm saying? Like, no matter what, that's the thing. No matter what, Cottonmouth, like, cared for Pop. Yeah. To, like, he would never do anything to the shop. If something happened to it, he's going to make sure that shit built, gets built up. And I think that's what makes it so much more impactful when uh, Pop dies. Actually, when he got this murdered. is something I noticed. Hmm? When he got murdered. Yeah, he got murdered. But actually, is the the death of Pop, one thing I noticed on the second watch, because it's kind of fucked up, because Pop died, the bullet that struck him ricocheted off of Luke's back. Um, is that what happened? I know they mentioned it. Did it ricochet? Yeah, it did. They didn't mention it, but I saw it. Like, I watched it. Uh, I watched that episode today. No, someone did mention I, it. Like, someone said that, uh, I forgot who it was. Are you sure that the, the bullets didn't ricochet off of you onto Pop? Some, I forgot who said that, though, but someone did mention that. Oh, well, yeah. I, well, when I rewatch it, I'll come back to it. But yeah, it, it ricocheted off of Luke and it hit Pops. Oh, wow, but Pops' okay. death was the, sort of the catalyst for both Luke and um, Cottonmouth. Right. Pop. Pops' death, the uh, always forward, forward always. Mm-hmm. That's like the with great power comes great responsibility to Spider-Man. That's what that shit is to Luke mm-hmm. Cage. And it also affected Cottonmouth because that I think that really sent him over the edge and he became a lot more brutal. He became even more brutal after, um, you know, after Pop, Pop died. Because I'm like, yo, your first reaction with Luke Cage steals your money is to blow up his fucking house with a rocket launcher like like where did you get a rocket launcher from bro that's extreme but right. th- that's how you see that's that's how you see it they're both affected they're both driven into the more extreme portions uh the extreme aspects of their their personality yeah i agree i was actually thinking about kingpin as i was um uh, watching yeah. Cot- cottonmouth because especially how he articulated his words and how he would uh, quote scriptures. Like Kingpin often quoted uh, different things himself. They were both obviously very intelligent. So um, just how they carry themselves. And I, in my mind, I was imagining them going, going head to head and it was just really an interesting uh, scene. But um, yeah, I, I think there's definitely some similarities between Kingpin and Cottonmouth. 
Yeah, Cottonmouth is like Kingpin, but with Lowry seasoning and jerk sauce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who, who, who do you guys say? Well, I guess that's is that maybe that's a little later, but I, I guess I can save that for the other half. Um, I was going to mention the other guy that came in after. Yeah, we got to save it. For the yeah, later okay, half. cool. All right. Because I have my thoughts, but that's. I do idea. too. I have I have my thoughts, and uh, we'll talk about are that. Are they good or <laughs> yeah. bad? Or? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, same here. Same okay. here. Okay. Cool. But uh, yeah, is there anything else though? Like we talked a lot. You want to talk about just wrap it up and just general feelings about the seasons through these episodes or? Oh yeah, so yeah, man, I love uh, yeah, I love season uh, episodes one through seven. Like that whole just everything to build up the climax and then just sort of t- the twist at the end with uh, Mariah, just like brutally murdering her cousin. Like this is the thing too. It's not even so much that she hit him with the bottle and threw, threw him off the uh, the the balcony. Like you would think that's enough, but it's like, oh no, let me get this mic stand and like smash this nigga in the bits because like, let me go all the way downstairs and do that. Like that that was intense. That kind of scared the shit. No, same here. Like it scared the shit, yeah. and I, I was really appreciative of it. I believe uh, did Claire make her way? What episode did she come in? Was it like six or five? Yeah, around that. Right, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, I think six. Six. Okay. Yeah, because she shows us, yeah, six because um, that's when she chases the guy down for a purse. Oh, yeah, she went in the ass immediately. I loved it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, like, I love, I mean, I love Rosario Dawson. I've always loved her growing up. I named my car, my first car after her, and I'll name my second car after her, too. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <laughs> Like, I love her, and I'm really glad to see, like, uh, Claire uh, Temple, like, really come into her own as a character. Like, she's developed so much more in this show than she was in Daredevil. Um, Daredevil Season 2 treated her a little bit better. Um, and she was uh, a nice little cameo in uh, Jessica Jones. Um, and it's funny because, well, I don't want to get into spoilers, but, yeah, I'm not trying to get into spoilers. Yeah, man, it was a nice, it was a nice, like, evolution of the character, you know what I'm saying? And we get to find out that she's from Harlem. Um, like, that's her background, that's her home, and she's really where she's supposed to be. Uh, and, yeah, I, I loved it. So, yeah, loved episodes one through seven. Um, I love the whole series. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about that more next week. And Stephanie, it's your turn. Uh, so, echoing the same sen- um, sentiments, um, one through seven, really, really enjoyed them. Um, like everyone said, I was not ready for episode seven itself because it does leave you at the edge of your seat and just kind of like a, well, damn, shit just went real left. But as far as the character development of um, Luke and Misty, but Misty more because I'm just, I don't know, maybe I'm still in shock, but this really was just as much as her origin story as it was his in the first, not on the whole series, but definitely episodes one through seven. And that alone just kind of has me with my mouth open because I just was not expecting that. That's how low my expectations were with Marvel. So, yeah. I mean, I I have every right to be, though, because Mm -hmm. they've never really handled a woman of color. Like, has there been any other than Alfie Ritter and her cameo in... What was it? Uh, Civil War three, and then also, um, you know, move or be moved. That one line, like they haven't, no, yeah. like they haven't really. Yeah. So, 
So I was nervous. Like, I didn't know how this was going to go. I thought that she was just going to be in, you know, I don't know, like half the episodes and it was going to be halfway done. But I mean, they proved me wrong in my expectations and I'll never doubt Chio Choker ever again in my life. But um, episodes one through seven just... And also, let me bring this up. I like how... So it's Luke Cage series, right? But everybody else is just as much a part of the story. He's actually elevating them and his interactions with them uh, shines a light on their character is, I don't know, it's kind of weird. And maybe I'll wait until uh, we've wrapped this up to kind of expand upon that and bring that whole, that whole idea up. But like, there's just, this felt like um, just as much as everybody else's, maybe not even origin story, but just their story as well as Luke's. And I just really appreciated that because, you know, with Jessica Jones, it's, centered around her which it should be is her show and the same thing with daredevil to a degree um you know it's really kind of focused on them and you get to learn about other characters that they interact with but not to this level that you do with luke cage and especially in these first seven episodes it's just like man i know everybody not just our main character not just our protagonist and i just really really appreciated that and boy Episodes eight through thirteen. Uh oh. Mm. Oh yeah, they ain't ready. No. <laughs> Ooh, I'm gonna scream at the when we get done with that one because <laughs> I'm telling you that last minute of episode thirteen snatched all my edges. Uh oh. I saw that uh <laughs> the, the tweet you did. I was like, girl. <laughs> oh goodness. Um but yeah, so I just I wanna mirror everything you guys said. Um and also just uh, especially what you said stuff about the community-based thing, how it did, did feel like we knew more characters in this series than the, the other Marvel Netflix series. And I think that's what makes it even more special because um, it, we get attached to different people. And so, our, you know, we get pulled back and forth when they, when they argue, when they have conflicts. It, it feels a, a little bit more personal. Um, and I love how again, how authentic the show is, how black it is, and how it does not feel like... <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers DC prides itself on being grounded and, rea- and real, but I this has been more realistic than anything that they've done, um, at period, that I've seen, uh, especially recently. Um, and that's what I was kind of giggling at as I was watching this series I was like this is like a slap in the face of them like they should be watching this because this is how you do authentic stuff uh, without trying too hard because it it did not do that at all so I applaud everyone uh, who um, worked on this series all the actors and actresses you guys have done an amazing job Um, and I, I just honestly can't wait to see more and I'm really interested in seeing how now that I'm more familiar with Luke Cage and uh, the characters on this show how all of this is going to go down once the Defenders uh, hits and how the character dynamics are going to be. And uh, now that we've grown attached to these characters to to different degrees, uh, how that's going to work out. But um, I'm inspired to kind of like go back and see some back issues and look up Luke Cage because I know that some of the older ones are not not too friendly to, you know, the black readers because black exploitation and all that other stuff. But... um, yeah, and I want to learn more about Missy Knight because she seems like a, a really excellent character. Um, 
and Steph and I can definitely see why you fall, fell in love with her. That's why I asked you because she does seem like a really great, genuine character. Um, and I'm glad this was my first exposure to her. So yeah, overall, two thumbs up. Dope, dope. So yeah, yeah Stephanie. Um, oh, what were you about to say? No, no, no. I was just saying, I just give my little yay to his two thumbs to Jermaine's two thumbs up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's it. I could. Like I'm gonna save my full-on standing for Misty Night for the latter half because, yeah, it just yeah. Okay. Also, I mean, (laughs) oh yeah. So Misty Night will be appearing in the Defenders. That'll be. Oh, that was confirmed, wasn't it? Okay. It is confirmed. Um, Okay. So yeah, Um, but yeah, Stephanie was. Dope having your, you know, your smooth, sultry voice uh, join smooth Jermaine's annoying voice and my rel- relatively decent All voice. Right. It was really, really dope having you. You know what I'm saying? Like, remember we talked about doing this episode? It was a couple months ago because, like, the hype to Luke, for Luke Cage was just too real, and we was like, "Nah, man, we gotta, we gotta be able to have to sit down and talk about this." So, yeah, man, it was really, really dope to have. You. Yeah, it was to be here. Do you have any uh, plugins you want to do? Um, no. Um, all I will say is that uh, if you aren't already, um, you should be following me at Steph underscore I underscore Will and also at Lemonade Show. And if you're not listening to that, you should. In fact, I would just start at the Catwoman defense. So, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you're not already, just please support a sister. But um, no, that's that's it for right now. Next episode, I'll have a host of things. Cool. cool oh, yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, Mike, you want to do your plug Yeah, I'll do it. Um, so, yeah, man, it's uh, been a really great show. We'll be back next week on the Lemonade uh, podcast. Make sure you follow at Lemonade Show. Uh, we'll be talking about episodes 8 through 13, uh, closing it up, going really deep into spoiler territory so we can fully express ourselves. So, yeah, you can make sure you follow me at Mike Talks Trash and... Yeah, on Twitter and Instagram, I guess. Uh, MichaelTradeDesign.com for stuff. Um, Blackboard, yeah, we are Blackboard uh, at every social media thing. Also our website. Make sure you support us on Patreon at We Are Blackboard. Every donation helps. $20 or more will give you, will entitle you to add space on the podcast. And am I missing something, Jermaine? Uh, nope, that's it. Uh, but you can also follow me at Jermaine Design. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. And my Instagram is Jermaine C. Dickerson. My Facebook is facebook.com slash Jermaine Design. Um, and once more, I want to announce that I'm still doing the donations for the comic books. I, and I am accepting digital comics, too. So if you have those, you can email those to me. And if you are interested, because I've gotten a few calls from people telling me that they'll be donating. So if you're interested, you can call me if you have any questions or feel free to email me if you want to be involved in the program somehow, because I can use all the help I can get. Uh, The the kids are really, really appreciated. So you can go to my Twitter page or go to JermaineDesign.com for more information about the Ipsy High Superhero Program. If you're interested in donating or you just want to contribute to the cost another way, and I would greatly appreciate that. And so will the kids. There will be a link in the description. Also, uh, yeah, if you're an artist, you want to have your artwork featured on the site, uh, email us at weareblackboard.com slash gmail. Uh, sorry, weareblackboard at gmail.com. So I'm getting tired. Um, and, yeah, and, hit and, us up. And talk about the uh, artist challenge too real quick. 
I will. Let me let me finish. Oh, my bad. Okay, look. You <laughs> email email okay. us uh, with artist spotlight in the tag uh, in the subject line. But yes, we are have launched our very first artist challenge for October. Um, you can check that out on weareblackboard.com. We will be tackling the concept of fear. Um, generally speaking, we you know it's it's in the spirit of the of the season and the Halloween. But you know we want artists to really think deep and think about. Uh, what fear means to them, and all anybody can do it. Makeup artists, you know, visual artists, musicians, dancers, whatever, whatever your craft is, photographers, uh, do what you can. You can look up more details. We'll put that in the description as well. And yeah, I think that's it. All right, cool. So thanks you, uh, thanks again, Steph, for coming on board and talking to us. We would greatly appreciate your company. And um, yeah, and your voice, it's really, it's really comforting. Just really nice. Yes, I want you to read me bedtime stories like you. Yeah, very nice. Thank you. <laughs> Truly, honestly, <laughs> iconic. Uh, <laughs> all right, y'all have a good night. <laughs>